0: Welcome to Between the Bylines with your host, Roberto
1: Rojas. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Between the Bylines. I'm Roberto Rojas. We continue our episode speaking to many esteemed members of the media all around the world as we head back to England to speak to another colleague. So, let's get straight to it. Our fifth guest of this series is a good friend and a good colleague doing great stuff in England and I'm glad to have on the line all the way from London, Freelance football presenter and reporter Danny Jameson. Danny, hello and welcome to Between the Bylines. How are you today? I'm really good. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. And firstly, I do have to ask and and it's perfect timing that I asked this question, but how has how have you been since the pandemic started being based in England? How how has daily life been for you over the last year or so? And especially now as we talk at, at the time of recording, just 24 hours after a lot of establishments have opened up over there in England.
0: Yeah, I mean, for for the majority of it, much like most people, it's been incredibly dull, very monotonous the last 14 months, wherever it's been since we first went into lockdown in the middle of March last year. But as you say, yesterday on Monday was the first uh, day where outdoor dining and pubs and things like that opened, shops, uh, hairdressers, thankfully uh finally opened things were getting a little bit untidy um so it's slowly getting back to normality so i think everybody can see a bit of a a light at the end of the tunnel um everywhere was very busy yesterday the park opposite where my flat is was very busy lots of people enjoying themselves in the sun so slowly but surely it feels like we're getting back to a bit more of a normal life. And hopefully that monotony will be broken up a little bit more. Well, I'm sure you're very appreciative that you're able to get a haircut. I saw
1: your Instagram story the other day. It's like you had like that, um, that boy band look and now you just switch it up back to, back to normal.
0: Yeah, it wasn't good. It was not, I've been wearing hats pretty much 24 seven for the last (laughs) couple of months. It was, that was about five months worth. I think just before Christmas, early December was when everything shut up again uh, over here. Mm -hmm. So it was very much needed. Yeah, no. Trust me. I I say this as
1: someone that always gets his hair cut every two, three weeks and if, if I go that long like I would just start just trying to find other ways to, to get rid of it. Um, So I wanted to go into your early days. You're from Wigan, you know uh, and obviously the sport of football slash soccer was a huge thing in your life. You're a big Wigan athletic fan, but what are your, some of your earliest memories with the sport and, and just falling in love and having an appreciation for it?
0: Well, it's strange because the, my earliest memories, I, I, I've lived and grown up in Wigan, but I was, I was born in a town called Cheltenham, which most people around the world know um, for its horse racing. But the, there is a team there, uh, Cheltenham Town, who are in uh, League Two, so the the fourth tier here in England. And probably the first memory I have watching football or soccer was was going to watch them. Because my dad worked for a company in Cheltenham, and he and uh, some of his friends, they got to a, a final of the FA Vars, um, which is uh, like a non-league knockout competition, um, FA, FA Trophy, forgive me, um, in 1998. So him and a lot of people from his work got a coach and went down to the old Wembley Stadium to watch them play Southport. I went along with them. I was, what, seven or eight years old, and um, it was brilliant. Like It's the sort of thing that makes you fall in love with with the sport. There were a few thousand people there in this 90,000-seat bowl rattling around. It was you know, it wasn't full by any by any stretch. These are pretty small teams, but it was enough. Um, and then that summer, we ended up watching the the World Cup in in France in nineteen ninety eight, which is probably the first real tournament I can remember. And from then on, I was hooked. You you play it pretty much religiously at, at school all the way through here. So from that dual playing and watching, I mean, it, the the hooks grab you in and, and they don't let go. And yeah, thirty years later, it's um, they're still very much embedded.
1: Yeah, I think you you always get that kind of feeling from young, and you know there are people that do fall out of it, maybe due to certain circumstances and maybe even appreciations for other sports. But I'm glad that you were able to keep in tune to that kind of passion, as you know, as we talk about more of your career and what you're doing. So. Obviously, you attended both uh, Liverpool and Staffordshire universities. You studied geography and sports broadcast journalism, respectively. What was that experience like for you? And, you know, how did it shape you and, and prepare you for what your career was
0: going to be? Well, going into it, I, I didn't know what I really wanted to be. Um, obviously, we we apply for universities at, at 17, 18 years old here. So I applied originally to do law. That was what I originally thought was, was going to be my career. Um, the offers I got, I I missed the grade requirements for them. So I was into scramble mode. I'd done geography at school. So I kind of just, I liked Liverpool. So I ended up there doing that really. It taught me that I didn't want to do a career in geography, unfortunately. But while I was there at Liverpool, um, I found the university had a radio station, started doing that. thought it was really good fun. And from that, I discovered that there was a hospital nearby near where I lived. That had a hospital radio station. Um, I, I don't know what hospital radio is like out in the states, but, but over here it's it's got a reputation of being where a lot of people start off because it's it's completely amateur. You know, you, you don't there's no particular entry requirements, but because it's generally quite small teams and it was basically three or four people max um, involved in in in, uh, in the shows it's got a reputation of giving you a good grounding, a good training in, in broadcasting. So I ended up going along there. There was a fellow there, called, uh, Paul Waters, who used to work for Radio City, which is the commercial radio station in Liverpool. He was part of the, the sports team. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing and, and let me experiment with, with different broadcasting styles. We, we, we did loads of different sports stuff. It was football, Formula One, England games, Liverpool, Everton, whatever it was. And there were three of us who just sort of got to play around at at being radio presenters for doing sport. And because he had that background in commercial radio, we had a good grounding of, of what it was like to do it professionally. And from there I kind of thought, well, look, this is pretty good fun. I mean, if I could get paid to do this brilliant, um, and from there, that led me to to Staffordshire. I spent a year in Stoke doing doing a master's degree in, in sports broadcasting, and um, yeah, from there, that was kind of the grounding. Do a bit of media law, which is very very important, so you don't get sued. Uh, <laughs> and from there, yeah, just batter down every door I could in the, in the UK to try and get myself a job. And yeah, it all kind of it all just kind of happened for a reason. You know, the the early disappointments of not getting in to do law. I can't say I've I regret that. It's uh, it's all worked out for the best.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have shared a similar story, or perhaps are going to, because you know, um, there are people that you know that go into this industry, and it's not going to be easy to get a job straight out of like university or anything like that. It's it's definitely a, a path that is worth taking, and that you have to go and knock on every door and try to find something that works. So I I completely understand and. And I wanted to shift into now what you do in your career and and go straight forward on this one, actually. So you obviously being a freelancer, what do you think are some of the pros and cons that you've had during your career doing uh, that t- type of work?
0: Well, I've only been freelance since officially last May, um, and I have to say I do not recommend going freelance during a pandemic. It's not, it's a, always a very difficult transition to make. And that was an added complication that I probably could have done without. But I mean, look, it's kind of the direction of travel for a lot of people in this industry, particularly here in the UK. Um, I mean, the cons of it, I mean, there's no particular job security. You know, you don't, you aren't salaried, you aren't, you don't uh, have those sort of employment law uh, protections. But I mean, it's, it's brilliant because you can work for whoever you want you can work as much or as little as you like. You can work across such a wide and broad variety of sports and broadcasters and and different projects. And you you're free to pursue things that you maybe wouldn't be able to, if you were in a quote unquote, normal job. Yeah. If you were contracted to one place, you can, you can go and pursue something. If you think like something will make a really interesting podcast series. Hey, go try it see what see what happens see we can get out of it that's probably the, the biggest pro um of all and look, you can get over the the lack of job security because i mean it's it's the way the world's going i suppose um i think a lot more industries are going to start looking like this um which the pros and cons of which i imagine you could do hours and hours on but like it was a decision that i don't look back and regret And I think that's probably the most important thing.
1: No, and I think it's something that you have to work with, especially during these times that you you try to get as much work as you can. Because like you said, nothing is certain, um, Mm. at least in this industry. So yeah, I completely agree. Um, I wanted to actually focus on the places that you do freelance for. So you obviously work for the Premier League, you work for BT Sports Score, and you do stuff on Amazon Prime Video Sports. So I wanted to like, if you can explain it in a more simple manner of what you do at those three places.
0: Uh, well so this this last year um, the premier League stuff uh, has been voicing a show called match pack which um, goes out wherever uh, whichever channel has your uh, premier League rights wherever you are in the world it's a statistical preview for the for the weekend uh, that we do every Thursday and goes out that evening here in the UK um, lots of nice motion graphics and hopefully some some interesting um, previews to the games that you may be in a Dundas style that you maybe wouldn't hear elsewhere. Um, Amazon was, was really good fun. They had the rights to two uh, full rounds of Premier League games this year and last, along with a few other, other one-off games here and there um, because of the the, the pandemic. Um, But that was similar to the BC sports stuff where it was doing pre and post match interviews. So they were, I would interview a manager and a player from each side before and after uh, each game and, and uh, they would roll those out in the show. And then BT Sports Score um, is great fun. It's it's uh, a score service, score update service. Um, that goes out every every Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And basically, I'm out at a National League game, which is the fifth tier uh, of English football. And every time something important happens, they cross live to us. I've got a camera pointing on my face and I tell people what's just happened, basically, and then do some interviews afterwards, which is brilliant fun. Um, it's, as much as the fifth tier, the standard is very high, the people involved uh, are very passionate and there's some really, really good stories that that you the sort of which you don't necessarily get the further up the pyramid that you go. Um so, yeah, I love it. It's great fun. No,
1: and I agree. I've, I've seen the stuff that you've done over there, like looking at it, I'm like, wow, it's so dramatic. And like, yeah, you get accustomed to like stuff in the Premier League or even the championship. But you look down of those places where, you know, it's more passion and more hard of doing it for the love of the game rather than actually from a financial point. It, it makes perfect sense as to why the stuff that happens there, there are so many storylines that could be taken from there.
0: Yeah, I mean it's one of the things that we rightly pride ourselves on in England is is the depth of the football pyramid because you go down I mean in, in Spain for example the, the third tier is is regionalized and basically amateur same in Germany I don't think the I mean, the, the third tier is as is, again a regional one here in the UK we we go down what six seven tiers before you get to to that kind of level. Um, and, yeah, the 20, well, 23 teams this year in the National League, most of them are full time. Most of them are fully professional. There's a lot of people that have a lot of football league experience. There's a lot of very talented footballers, a lot of very talented managers. Um, and, yeah, you do get that kind of approach and that kind of aspect that is sometimes lacking from, from further up the, the pyramid as you get more, Professional is probably the wrong word to use, but but the, the the rough edges get rounded out a little bit more the further up you go. And at that level they're still they're still there and, and it's really it's really good to see. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. So you mentioned, you know, when you're doing interviews or presenting, you know, I wanted to talk about that. So when it comes to doing you know, when it comes to your interviewing and presenting techniques what are some of the things that you try to focus on when you're speaking to a player, a coach or or any pundit to get the right answers that you need, or even, you know, speaking to those pundits when presenting a show?
0: Uh, Well, when I suppose interviewing is someone told me once that an interview is meant to just be a conversation, right? It's not just a list of questions where you've got, I want to ask one, two, three, four, five, six, and I'm just going to stick to these questions with this wording in this order. It's meant to be a free flowing conversation. And one of the most important things is listen. If you ask a question, don't just switch off and wait for them to stop talking because you've got question two you know, queued up and ready to go. Listen to what they say because if if they're telling you something important, then there might be another question in that answer that you've got to follow up on. That's probably the most important thing um, that I was ever taught. But even just daft things like, getting a rapport with the people, you know, before, before you start, have a chat, find some common ground. It's a hell of a lot easier to talk to somebody who's not necessarily a stranger, even if it's a, you know, a footballer that you've seen on TV or or whatever, even just humanizing them a little bit and humanizing yourself to them can make it so much easier to get something interesting out of them rather than just them closing up and relying on the, the media trained answer. Um, so I mean, those two things uh, always in my mind. The other one is, is, and this is going to sound incredibly daft, but you will, as soon as you start noticing people doing this, you won't be able to unnotice it. But ask a question, don't say a statement, and wait for them to respond. That's you get nothing out of that. So don't say it was a good win for you today. It's not a question. It's not a question. Ask them something to give to incite a response. Don't just say a statement but you see it so often and it really annoys me and that's something that always always in the back of my head ask a question ask a question rather than just say a statement and wait for them to respond
1: yeah no i i, I agree i think you want that kind of engagement and and like like you said you know they're they're human beings like you and i and you know they want to to normalize yeah they, they no, are I human
0: beings like they're not they're not a footballer they are human being exactly it's it's like
1: you don't have to go all improper or anything, obviously just be focusing on what you want to get. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to be all dry and, and stuff like that. No, I, I, I completely understand. I, I, trust me, there, there are some that I've dealt with that that feel that way so it's it's almost as if you really need to get something out of it um from those type of people um you worked your way up actually you know before you did your stuff for presenting and, and voicing and as an assistant producer for premier league productions you know what, what were some of the key things that you learned from there that shaped you up
0: in terms of what you do right now i mean the most important thing was working in a in a live gallery format so when i was an um, assistant producer which i did for Uh, three or four years across or across two different companies most of it was uh, was live programming so I was in the gallery you're under pressure you work across three or four different roles so from that when I transitioned to being in front of the camera then I know the people that are talking in my ear I know what their jobs are I know what they have to do I know why they're doing it and most importantly probably I know what their pressures are because I've done that role. I've been I've done that job. So if I need to see something on a screen before we come back from a break, you don't you know that the person who is responsible for that maybe has two or three other things that they're also doing at this point. So it just makes it a little bit easier for you to understand how all of the cogs fit together, how shoots fit together when you're trying to make something out of them, when you've shot a load of material, you know what sort of things the editor is going to need to make this into a coherent piece to that's going to go out so it just gives you such a good grounding in what everybody else does and it means just everything works so much easier because you're not you don't have to be told oh i need this i need that because you already know that they're going to need these things and you can just do them yourself rather than relying on being told you know what I mean
1: yeah no I I understand I I think you kind of already have that idea in plan that when you go into a situation like this you know exactly what to do you know exactly who you're dealing with and you just got to go with what you've been taught and and go from there obviously you know no one's going to be perfect on their first day no matter what position they're in but it's all about improving them uh, improving yourself and then trying to be better the next time I think that's the the simplest way to go through it yeah
0: (laughs) I mean, look, it's something that I would recommend to anybody that that has an idea that they want to go into that kind of thing, being in front of camera or, or behind a microphone. Give yourself a leg up by understanding what every other job does, I suppose. Try and do those jobs before you get into it because it will give, it will, honestly, it will make things so much easier for you and so much easier for everybody else who's working with you because they will they will be grateful that you aren't, you know, throwing your weight around and demanding stuff that that they just simply cannot do. Um, If you know what everybody else's job is and what they're doing because you've done it, it makes you a lot easier to work with. Yeah, I agree. So I
1: wanted to switch gears into the actual season that we had in the Premier League. Obviously, it's been such a crazy season. We've seen great goals, great players. We've seen a lot of races from the top of the table to the bottom of the table. We see controversy, as we know, with... You know, we could talk about VAR and all that kind of stuff. We've seen, you know, fans back at the stadiums and they had to go back, um, back at home. I mean, how have you, especially f- for someone that has covered it and have gone to grounds and have done all this kind of work, I mean, how, what did you think of the season or how, what have you been thinking so far of the season uh, in the Premier League?
0: I mean, it's been unforgettable. I think we'll look back at this in, in years to come. Maybe not necessarily for... The right reasons, no matter how long this goes on for, the lack of fans will never not be weird. The sooner they come back, the better. And good news is, I think, in the next couple of weeks, we've got a few games here in in London that are going to have fans back, um, which is a great step, hopefully, towards everything being back to normal in, in August. But, I mean, outside of that, I don't think that the football has been any any worse than than um, in previous seasons. I feel, still feel we've had an entertaining season. We've had moments and games, like you say, and goals that are, are certainly up there with anything we've seen in uh, in any other Premier League year. So I don't think it's been, you know, the disaster that so many doom merchants were predicting at the start of the season where, you know, there, there was no point in, in bringing anything back until everything was back to normal. I'm glad that, it has come back and it's given us all something to do and something to watch while we've been locked up at home. Um, but yeah, I, I'll as much as it's nice being able to hear all of the players talk to one another on the pitch and hearing what the managers actually say to each other. Uh, you can get I can I can deal without hearing that if it gets some fans back in and gets a bit of atmosphere going because that is the one thing that I think everybody. Uh, has missed hugely well
1: we, we mentioned the pandemic obviously at the beginning and, and i would just wanted your personal thoughts on you know how, how do you think of the way that the country is dealing with it so far i mean obviously we see and yeah i know that can be a long question but we try to make it as as short as possible because we, no we've seen people that have been vaccinated already obviously things are opening up right now you mm-hmm. mentioned the possibility that fans could be back you know this whole thing of normality being back in june i mean how, how in your personal opinion how do you think of the way that the country is dealing with this pandemic
0: well we've had 120 130,000 people have died from it in the in the uk alone in the last year and year and whatever it is so i don't think you can say that we've dealt with it well um without getting too far into the weeds with this at the start you needed strong leadership and unfortunately as with several other countries, naming no names, <laughs> we didn't have that. Um, which unfortunately has probably cost us in in the long run. Um having said that, the vaccination program that we've had here in the in the UK is is being one of, if not the best in the world. Um, that was all left out to our National Health Service, which might well be the, the for my money, the best thing that that the uk has ever done is, is our national health service pretty much everything that we've left to them has gone really really well so hopefully that's a marker for governments to come that it's something that, that needs protecting because they have done a remarkable job all of my family uh older than me have all had at least one of their vaccines i think we're closing in on 50 percent of the country now everybody over 50 has been uh, been offered it so that's something to be grateful for. Um, But on the whole, yeah, we've, nobody's dealt with it well um, in in this country, particularly given we were, we were two weeks behind places in, in Eastern Asia. I have friends who were out in in Hong Kong who warned us what was going to happen. Unfortunately, didn't take much heed of it. Um, But look, hopefully the fact that, The last few months have been so positive with the vaccinations and with so many people um, being protected and the death rate coming down. Hopefully this is a sign that we're maybe getting a handle on it and hopefully lessons will be learned if this happens again in the future well i mean you, you you didn't have to name no
1: names to say that what's been going on across uh your ocean of what's been going on here so i, I totally understand yeah, yeah you, you could have named it you could have said it no you could have said it but uh, yes i agree i think um that there are lessons that are have to be taught from all this from from everyone i think i mean not just those that are in in leadership in in, in governments or those that work in you know health services but you know the people like common people like you and i i think that's Something that we need to hopefully appreciate and understand that once, it, God forbid, another pandemic like this happens, that we are prepared for any, for anything and, and that we can not have to deal with what we've been going on for the last year or so. No, I, I, I totally agree.
0: I wanted. No, you hope so. You'd yes, hope so.
1: I mean that's it's the hope that kills you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to ask because obviously, you know, you, we mentioned that you're very flexible in working in television with presenting and reporting. I mean, what, what do you what do you feel is the main difference for you with those two, um, with presenting and reporting?
0: I mean, if you if you go sort of macro, I suppose there's not there isn't a huge difference between the two. At the end of the day, you're you are still asking people question to try and get a response, an entertaining and informative response. The difference, I suppose, is, is reporting generally you're, you're very much on your own. Um, the games at, for, for BT, for example, it is literally just me and a cameraman and we can hear the, the, the program going out in our ears and, and that's it. You're free to your own devices to do what you will. Presenting is a little bit more different. It's a little bit more... It's kind of like, like in basketball, you, you're kind of the point guard, right? So you're the one sort of distributing everything to everybody else. You're the one that's sort of moving the moving everything forwards. You don't necessarily, you know, you're not necessarily scoring all the points, but you're keeping everything moving and keeping the whole the whole team moving and and moving forwards and hope in hopefully in an entertaining way. So I guess that's the biggest difference is there's there's a lot more moving parts when you're presenting because you are you're the you're the grease for all of the wheels in in the 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 machine that is the, the show. Where reporting, you're it's a little bit less involved. You're basically trying to get some sort of interesting grab out of generally one person at a time. Whereas presenting, yeah, you can be doing that for two or three people in a studio while also listening to your producer what you want to do next, while getting in and out of VTs and breaks and all sorts of things. So, but on the on the whole generally they're basically the same you're you're trying to elicit interesting responses from other people that happen to be on your show
1: yeah no i agree i I think there are a lot of similarities and differences but overall it's about what you feel is is right to produce or to distribute out there to the to the public that are watching and and trying to to get interested in a way I, I, i totally agree now, I, I love how you made the mention to sports and American sports. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't say mm-hmm. quarterback for this one. You said point guard. But I'm going to uh, switch gears because I know that you're also a big sports fan of not just football, but of the other, well, well I should say football, but the other football does, as you call yeah. the hand egg. And you're a big San Francisco 49ers <laughs> fan. So I have to ask, how does a guy like you from England become a fan of, of, of the team of Joe Montana and, and all the great legends that have played at that team?
0: uh i mean look i could give you a, a lovely answer about how it, it was big in the 80s and my you know my dad followed them and all this sort of stuff but in reality I, I pulled them out of a hat um quite literally when i was at university a friend of mine was really into it um and i'd sort of i'd half had half a foot into it i would tried to stay up and watch the super bowl every year and and not really you know half-heartedly try and I'd been to 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 America several times when I was younger on on holiday. I had some some relatives who who live out there, um, so I figured, look, if I'm going to get into it, you kind of need a team to root for, right? It makes it a lot easier to have something to to hook onto. So we put all 32 teams into quite literally a hat um, and pulled out San Francisco, and and um, yeah, here we are. Later, I've been out there, seen a game at Levi Stadium, which was great fun, and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Nestled in quite nicely behind soccer as probably the the second um, sport that that I would watch.
1: Well, I'm glad you didn't get the New York Jets. That's for sure. I mean, that's probably the, well, yeah, the I mean, thing that the Jets
0: or the Browns or the Lions. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure maybe it would have caught hold quite as bad. Um, I mean, I should probably point out that when I pulled them out of the hat, they were rubbish. It was it was maybe a, a year or two before um harbour took over so we're talking they weren't very good at the, at the time obviously they were they were great in the 80s and 90s they were not at the time and um i think within was it two years or three years after i picked them out of the hat they made it to the super bowl lost yep. the ravens but you know so I, not, i'm not a glory hunter don't you know don't start thinking that uh you know i'm just after the trophies and things no i mean you've
1: been there already so it's <laughs> not like it's a big deal but hey Let's hope that it, it does happen because, you know, I've seen my team win Super Bowls and it's only right that you need to see your team win a Super Bowl. Um, One day. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're quite young still. You got time. I mean, the 49ers are building something, hopefully. So never know. You never know. You uh, hope so. Uh, hope so. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, obviously, this pandemic has, you know, really transformed all of us, not just those that work in certain industries. I mean, I wanted to ask, you know, how has the, pandemic really transformed the sports that you cover in England and, and do you feel especially in this kind of advanced world that we live in where we're reliant on technology
0: that these changes will be permanent I mean it wouldn't surprise me at all um, the the biggest change apart from the, the fans that we talked about earlier is how almost all um, media requirements are, are, are done like this they're done over, over uh, Skype or Zoom or, or whatever it might be and um, I don't think that has been... It's not It's not the same as doing it in person, but it's not been, uh, you know, as disastrous as some people would have you believe. It wouldn't surprise me if that kind of thing stays. I mean, it does make it a little bit easier in as much as if, you know, if you wanted to talk to Kevin De Bruyne, I could do it from from this room. I don't have to get a camera kit the cameraman and everything and and trek up to Manchester to go and do it there. You can do it over this and still get something interesting out of it. So that kind of thing, it wouldn't surprise me if it stays. Um, The one thing that I hope doesn't stay is doing so much remotely. Um, I I really hope that we go back to most of the broadcast being done at the stadium, um, which hopefully will go back uh, once everything's back to normal. I get why it hasn't is a little bit cheaper to do it from a studio a bit easier to do it from a studio but i don't know i quite like the fact that i i like having studio at a stadium it gives you more of a feel for the match and i, I think that's something that i would miss i think if it did if it didn't come back
1: yeah no i, I think just being in that atmos- atmosphere is so important i think it's so yeah passionate in a way it makes you like feel the moment there and it's not it's not the same as doing it in like in a studio or at home or anything like that I think it's it makes sense as to why people want that experience to be there be in the moment be part of history not just working on it in a studio or on your your home I mean it's it's different it's very different um, yeah I think there's something lacking if you if you have that mm-hmm I agree. So before we get to um, my final segment, I do have to ask, and I've asked this to all the previous guests that we've had on the show, for people like myself, for young professionals who want to break into this industry, for those that are just starting off and want to be experienced professionals, what kind of advice would you give to those people that are listening?
0: There's probably two big things. The first one is is persistence, and I'm sure that's come up before, but you, you're going to be told no a heck of a lot more often than you're, than you're told yes. That is just a that's a factor of life, unfortunately, particularly in such a competitive industry. So, yeah, be persistent, be resilient. Understand that if you're told no, it's not because you're not very good. It, it might just be circumstances. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, I mean, I've you know I tried to get in at, at BT for ages until I finally managed to to get a foot in the door. Um, and I suppose the other one, just try and diversify what you can do and what you can offer as much as possible because if you're going to a a media company and you say well i can do this but they don't have an opening for you to do that specific thing uh, you can say well i also do this and i also do this you know i don't just uh make podcasts i can also film stuff i can also do you know do this i can do that that's so important because the more things you can do the more valuable you are to potential employers And the more valuable you are to potential employers, the more likely they are to keep you around and give you a chance. Um, So those are the two biggest things that I wish I knew or had a bit clearer in my head when I first started. Because it will make things a lot easier if you go into it with your eyes open for those sort of things. So just be persistent and be as versatile as you possibly can be. It will not hurt. That is
1: excellent advice, Danny. I, I really generally appreciate that. And I think that is so true what you're saying. Um, so I do want to go to my final round. This is the one that you're going to like. It's a series of lightning round okay. questions, as I said. So I will be asking you a series of questions. And I want you to answer them as soon as you can do it. So are you ready? Okay. I'm not sure I am, well, but go on. Well, no, <laughs> you, gotta, you don't really have a choice, but um, best place <laughs> to visit in England?
0: Uh, Liverpool, fantastic city, have to go.
1: Most underrated city in
0: England? Ooh, that is a good one. Uh, I would say Edinburgh in Scotland. If you've not been, beautiful. Best country you visited? Uh, Indonesia, which is just spectacular. People are awesome, great fun. It's it's spectacular.
1: There's always something about those southeastern uh, Asian countries. They always oh, have yeah. something going
0: on there. <laughs> it's Best city you visited? Um. Do you know what? I'll, I'll give it to San Francisco. I thought I thought it was really cool. Really, really enjoy visiting. I, I haven't been to San Francisco. I've been to L.A., but
1: I definitely want to check out San Francisco one of these days. It looks I like... Swear, I,
0: pre- I prefer San Francisco to L.A. Controversial, maybe. Oh, really?
1: Well, I, I need to figure it out. And I mean, the Golden Gate Bridge, who doesn't want to go there? Yeah, <laughs> um, that's cool. F- of all the experience that you've been to and to previous uh, Premier League grounds, who do you think are the best fan support that you've experienced?
0: Oh, wow. Um... I mean, if you get to go to Anfield on—it's such a cliche—but if you get to go to Anfield on a big European night, there's something about that. I went, so I was there for them beating Spurs um, in February last year. That was the first time that the that Liverpool fans started singing, "We're gonna win the league." Now you're gonna believe we're gonna win the league. That was something special. And I'll give a shout out to Crystal Palace as well. Sellers Park is raucous when they're they're doing well.
1: Yeah. No, I've I've heard stuff about them that they like to be passionate. So it's not surprising. There's a a
0: reason, I think, that Ted Lasso, all
1: (laughs) of the stadium stuff was filmed at Sellers Park. I mean, it makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. The first pint that you get at the pub when everything is done, or at least when you go, when you go back to the pub, essentially, what's the first pint that you usually get when you go there?
0: Do you know what? I'm unusual in this country in that I don't like beer at all. I don't drink it. Uh, whiskey, it's always been whiskey for me instead. Oh, okay, so what do you get then from whiskey? <laughs> I'll, I'll be getting the Jack Daniels and Coke.
1: There you go. The best combo. <laughs> Your favorite Premier League and non-Premier League ground?
0: Uh, I mean, the, the best Premier League ground is the new Spurs Stadium, which is awesome. um, Absolutely sensational. Um, is it has to be football? Uh, the best non-Premier League? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Football.
0: Uh let's go with I mean the new camp. is is something special. Hmm. Saw so Messi there just before he won his last Ballon d'Or. He's yeah, that's probably the one. What
1: about below the, the Premier League like in the Championship League One, League Two? That kind of thing. Ooh.
0: Um there are a lot of options. Probably best stadium. I mean, you could go right the way down to somewhere like Meadow Lane in Notts County um, <laughs> was, was good fun. Had a few good ter- good games there. Um, yeah, let's go. Why not? Let's go Meadow Lane, Notts County. There we go. It's definitely one for everyone to go check out when they go back to yeah. England.
1: Favorite player growing up?
0: Um, Ian Dezou and Lee McCulloch, both Wigan stalwarts. Love both of them.
1: You, I, I know you're a big country fan from what you've told me. Yeah. So your
0: favorite artist <laughs> or band? Uh, I mean, Kit Moore, Uh, I've been listening to a lot of him and Chris Stapleton as well. I mean, just fantastic. The most you miss about the United States? Um, There's so many. I mean, I I love Americans. I find them really, they're so different to to Brits. Um, (laughs) The people are just really cool. Um, But yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Why not? people are awesome i mean we we do get
1: sometimes a bit extra and i know that you guys are a bit dull yeah, in that though. kind of sense but no but I, I i talk to these people and they're like oh, how are you guys so energetic and like all of that yeah. it feels
0: fake and like it's we're- so different you have honestly it's incredible well, you know you've been you've been over here but yeah. it's just the other end of the spectrum
1: <laughs> literally i mean it's it's insane but hey uh, that, that's that's just how people are, I guess. Um, if yeah. you were given the chance to have a coffee with anyone in history, who would it be?
0: Ooh, anyone in
1: history? Anyone. does It doesn't have to be sport. It could be anyone in history.
0: Wow. I mean, there's so many. I, I wh- Whoever I pick, I guarantee you, as soon as we finish this, I'll want to go back and change it. <laughs> um, but I, I mean... So, what, like, what historical Jesus would be cool, right? Yeah, so, like just see what what he was actually like, and see what the world was like back then. Someone like him or Julius Caesar, someone like that from history, I think would be would be interesting. Not that they would know what coffee was what actually was. To be fair,
1: oh, that, that's why you get to show them. You have to teach them about that kind of stuff. So, that's well, all. All their
0: minds—that'd be amazing.
1: Literally, only one: presenting or reporting.
0: I mean, i presenting. I have to say. It's just, it's, but I mean, I I love them both. Uh, You can't really separate them, but if you give me the choice, presenting there's more money in it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You only have to pick one of these teams to support for the rest of your life. Bolton or the Seattle
0: Seahawks? Um, Oh, Friday. I'll (laughs) go with, I mean, look, why not? Because of Richard Sherman, why not go to Seahawks? There's a grudging respect there. I mean, you can't you can't not appreciate what Pete Carroll's done, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and it's an excuse to go. I've been to Bolton, never been to Seattle. It's an excuse to go, isn't it? There you go. But but don't say that you're a 49ers fan then. That's where that's the best part of it. Oh, sorry, I walked through the, uh, the tailgate outside the Oakland Coliseum with a friend who was a Raiders fan. Oh. Uh, I managed to style that out. So wow, that, should be okay. that, that, <laughs> that is ballsy. I have to give you that
1: yeah. um, one word to describe the following. England. Cold. <laughs> it, you know what? But I got lucky the last time, I, well, the last two times I went there. It was sunny and perfect. I mean, I, I went in August and I went how? back in April. It was sunny every single minute that I was there. I don't know how well, so, so it happened, we, but
0: it, I got lucky. We, we literally had three days worth where it was beautiful, like, uh, you know, 22 degrees Celsius, uh, Three day three days worth of that. We thought, summer's here, brilliant, and then it snowed literally the next day. On Sunday, play golf, snowed on us three times. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I, maybe I have
1: to go back to give you a bit more sunshine because apparently I'm the deciding factor. <laughs> you know what, that'd be great. I'll, as soon as the borders open, I'm, I'm down. Um, the United <laughs> States, one word to describe them.
0: One word, um, different. Different
1: that's 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 what we've always been called I guess we always like to be extra indifferent yeah. uh the Premier League oh, entertaining reporting tricky <laughs> presenting trickier that, that, that I like your honesty I appreciate that the San Francisco 49ers injured. <laughs> Wow, I love the optimistic feeling, Danny. That, that that makes perfect sense. Um, and and finally, I asked this to all of them. Yeah, the pick one and even a reason: Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo.
0: Lionel Messi. He's he's the, he is, I've seen them both. He is not only the greatest player of his era. For my money, he is the greatest player of all time. Some some of the things that he does are just beyond belief. Ronaldo, yeah. very good. Don't want to, you know, don't want to slander him in any in any way. But Messi's just on another level. He's I think it was was it Gerard Piquet who said, yeah, Ronaldo's the best player on the planet, but that's only because Lionel Messi isn't from Earth or something along those lines. (laughs) Well, and it's difficult to disagree
1: yeah i mean we've you're the fifth guest on our show only four of them all four of them well sorry four of them have said Messi. only one said ronaldo so I, it's clearly really? there's some sort of majority there but uh, danny thank you so much for being a part of this fifth episode of between the bylines it was an absolute blast having you on all the best in the work that you do and i hope to speak to you very very soon no thank you very much pleasure's all mine hopefully we'll get you over here To the UK for too long. 100%. I'm down. Thank you so much. So, as always, you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And as always, thank you for listening to Between the Bylines.